host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pedio Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is the co-chair of the Tage Thompson Appreciation Society. It's my good buddy, Pete Blackburn. Pete, what's going on, man? How are you? It's been uh, it's been a little bit since the last time we talked. It's, since then, we've got matching Tage T-shirts. We're on our way to the fan club being official. Yeah, we haven't gone to the matching denim jackets yet. That's going to be the next step in taking this relationship to a whole other level. But uh, we've started off on a good note. You know, there was a there was reportedly a sighting of a large group of dudes at a Sabres game recently who were spotted wearing Tage Cation 2023 T-shirts. And uh, and and apparently they weren't even cheering for the Sabers or whoever the Sabers were playing that night. They were just quote unquote hockey fans. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. First off, kudos. I see you guys. I respect it. Second of all, why weren't Pete and I invited? That's 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 kind of what I want to know. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Either way, whether or not I'm involved, I support it one thousand percent. Just guys being dudes traveling around like the traveling Tage Club. I'm all for that. You were you were telling me that uh, was it at the All Star game. You were yes, uh, you were yeah. you were talking to people and they were they were admiring our uh, our conversations about Tage and how much we we were supporting him this season. Yeah, it was either the All Star Game or the Stadium Series, but I was talking right, to right. like the, the, this group at at a bar and they were like, "We love Dim, we love Tage, we love that you guys are are like behind them." And I was like, I was like, I gotta show you my DMs with 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 Dim, and it, it's just literally it's just all just either just the word Tage or Tage highlights or just endless stream of just tage content and they were dying laughing it was so funny that's cool man well a shout out to them and uh and hopefully we can uh we can keep the good times going so here's the plan for today um i gave you a bit of a homework assignment we each put together a list of our favorite or most interesting stories that we're kind of keeping an eye on for the final five weeks of the regular season and let's be honest this is kind of like the most boring part of the schedule in my opinion i know there's some playoff races to be kind of excited about but for the most part like the drama of the traded lines done we all just kind of want the playoffs to get here because especially this year it's going to be so awesome so we're we're, we're trying to drum up some interest here so the plan is we're going to do our draft we're going to go in order um i'll give you the first pick here you can give me your most interesting story to watch and then we'll just go back and forth and, and hopefully uh we can let the listeners know kind of why we're excited about them and then also why they should be as well Okay. Yeah. No, I agree with you that this is. I wouldn't. I don't know. know if I'd say that this is the most boring part of the schedule, but it's the most excruciating because, like you said, we're kind of just waiting for the playoffs. Um, with my first pick, I, I feel like I would be, I would be wrong to go any other direction as a Boston guy just to see if the Bruins finish as the best, the best team basically in in regular season history. That's to me like that's the hook for me. But also, I think that that's has obviously like a national appeal in maybe being able to witness the best regular season team in the history of the league. So um, that's certainly on my radar, and it probably is on a bunch of other people's radar as well. Wow, I can't believe that that was your first pick. <laughs> true true stunner just out of left field. So, okay, let, let's let's unpack it a bit. They, uh, they're, at the time of recording, they're 49-8-5. and five. They're on pace for 136 points and 65 wins. They've lost four games this season by more than one goal which is just a staggering thing to think about. Like, they, they have not been blown out, basically, all year. Um, and the reason why that point pace is is interesting, I had them second on my list. I knew you were going to take them, and I was going to give you the first pick. So I never I never doubted for a second Shit. that I was gonna ever going to get them uh, in this draft. But 
Um, you know, the 95, 96 wings had 131 points, the 76, 77 Habs, a team I, I definitely spent a lot of time watching live and in the moment, uh, 15 years <laughs> before I was born, uh, had 132 points. And I guess the only real question here is if the Bruins approach in the final five weeks is going to be like a lot of load management and resting guys and kind of, especially with some of their veterans, just getting them prepared for what they hope is an extended playoff run if sitting those guys is going to give them a few more losses and prevent them from getting to that 133-point total that would set the the all-time high now. But they have so much depth, and we've already seen it on the blue line, right, where they basically have seven guys that they want to play, and so they're just taking turns, alternating one of them out of the lineup. And so it feels like they'll be able to do that for the most part without missing too much of a beat. Yeah, and like based off of that, too, is that, you know, more or less the well i guess with the exception of the wild cards it's like the eastern conference the teams that are in kind of know that they're in so like i wonder if the bruins going up against uh like a team like the lightning or a team like toronto where it's like they they don't have too much to play for either and then you've got teams towards the bottom of the standings where their incentive is to lose so even if they are arresting guys and, and taking their foot off the pedal a little bit they still could be winning these games and I think like the closer you get to accomplishing history and that that history of that magnitude I don't know if they're going to take their foot off the gas too too much yeah I mean so far they've talked about how they don't really care about it and they're like talking and I understand why right like especially in NHL everything is so centered around winning the Stanley Cup and that's kind of all that matters and so Especially the last time we saw a pursuit like this in the 2018-19 Lightning, they they, yeah. they didn't win a single playoff game and flamed out in, in historic fashion. So I get all that. But yeah, they're, they're uniquely positioned where, like, let's say they want to give Brad Marchand a couple nights off and rest them. All right, they can just bump up Tyler Bertuzzi up to the you know the top line wing or whatever. It's like they're going to sit Linus Allmark, and they should because he's already going to quickly be approaching sort of um, territory he's never been in before in terms of games played. They're just going to play Jeremy Swayman instead. Like they're, It's not like they're necessarily going to be like calling up AHL guys and forcing them into premium roles here. It'll just be like other right. good NHLers that are stepping up. So, yeah, I'm pretty confident in their ability to get there, and, and it's pretty remarkable. I don't know. Do you, do you, maybe you're the wrong person to ask this because I'm sure you're, you're sort of like in it and you're, and, you're, and you're feeling it on a day-to-day basis, but do you feel like nationally it's been a big enough story in terms of like the season they're having? Because you just look at that, it's like, they already have 49 wins. They smashed their preseason over-under like three weeks ago or whatever. Like the, It might be the best regular season team we've ever seen. And yet, people are talking about it, certainly, but it's not like a, a day-to-day sort of a point of, of, of attention, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't, I don't expect that to happen. I, I feel like there's, there's a certain level of boredom that comes when a team is just like this good for, for this prolonged period of time. And like you kind of exhaust yourself in in what you're able to say about them, and I think at this point everybody, I'm su- I'm even surprised at this point how many people are like, damn, the Bruins are just on another level. Like I expected people to find reasons to hate and find reasons to be like, all right, well they're just going to flame out because they haven't faced any adversity. I've seen a lot of people ar- around the entire league just be like, this team is so far above everybody else right now that it's crazy, and I, I think that that's true. And I don't know what else there is more to say from like a national level. Yeah. Well, there's also the fact that like, you know, like, like Dom's model of the athletic has them as like a 40% chance to win the Stanley cup or something, which is like the highest total we've ever seen. And yet Outrageous. that still means that there's a 60% chance that they don't. 
and yeah, there's a better be, chance that they don't. <laughs> and, and that could be turned into a, oh, well, it was all for nothing. It was kind of a, like a failure of a season, right? Even if they, even if they fall short in the Eastern conference final or second round or something like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, uh, interesting framing of it. All right. Well, here's, here's a, uh, a follow-up pick I had to the Bruins end because you know, with any draft, you got to know your opponent and you got to know game theory. And so yeah. I knew you were going to go Bruins and then I'd be able to follow up with mine, which is the wildcard race in the Eastern Conference. And the reason why I bring this up in particular for the second wildcard spot, which is slated to face the Bruins in round one, I'm curious for your take on which of the teams in the mix has the best likelihood or chance of giving the Bruins some sort of a problem in a seven game series, not necessarily they're any of these teams is going to be a massive underdog, of course, but just whether it's stylistically or personnel-wise, um, something that one of these teams can do that can sort of give them a bit of a problem or trip them up or potentially give them at least a bit of a scare in uh, in round one. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm not I'm not overly scared of any of them, but, uh, you know, I, I think when you look at it, like, I think that the Panthers and Senators would give me uh, a, a bit more of a concerning like I'm I'm really not worried about like any of the teams from the bottom end of the metro honestly like the Islanders the the Penguins like I think that both of those teams are are really flawed and and not that the others aren't but in terms of like matching up against the Bruins I think the Senators and uh and the Panthers probably have like the best I guess pure pure talent to match up against the Bruins at this point. But at the end of the day, I don't think I'm going to be overly scared based off of what they have versus what the Bruins have and what they've had all all year long. Yeah. I mean, in 2019, when we were kind of going through this exercise with the Lightning, where before the playoffs, right, they were rattling off all these regular season wins and we were trying to devise a strategy for like how they can be beaten. And then I remember at the time, I basically made a checklist of, of four things and they were... You have to slow the pace down against them because, like, if there's just fewer events happening, you're kind of more likely to to upset them. Uh, you have to limit the number of power plays because at the time, the Lightning's power play was just outrageously good. Now the Bruins is still really good, but they're kind of less reliant on it. So it's, that might not be as big of an issue here. Having a hot goal, goalie, of course, which is, I think, the number one thing. And Dombrowski yeah. in that series certainly uh, was a difference maker. And then just like recent performance in terms of like the last 20, 25 games, how the team's playing, how they're controlling the puck, what their underlying numbers look like. And the issue for a lot of them uh, in this case, the Panthers kind of come up in that, right? Where they've been the best team most recently in terms of underlying numbers. Um, the, The issue for me though is they play at an incredibly fast pace, which worries me because it exposes them to, to the Bruins just kind of countering them and, and then, and then beating them that way. And they also take a ton of penalties and their goalie is highly suspect. And so yeah. uh, for like in isolation, I would say that the Panthers are the best of the bunch or have the most firepower, I guess, to threaten the Bruins in that type of series. But I just, all of those underlying kind of traits of theirs make me worry that they're actually a legitimate risk to upset them in round one. I mean, the the, the Panthers are an interesting case because it's like you, you mentioned Bobrovsky and, and obviously not having the year that he had last year and, and like... There, I do believe that the Bruins can slow them down, and like they can beat beat the crap out of them over the course of a seven game series, especially with the kind of the snarl that they picked up at the deadline. So, um, like the Bruins can beat you in in so many different ways, and they've shown that throughout the course of the year, and they can counter whatever you do 
um, strength-wise. But Bobrovsky is an interesting case because he he has been really good at the front end of playoffs in the past, and then he kind of loses it as it goes on. So I like regardless of what he's shown this year, he's he's such an inconsistent goalie that's hard to to kind of figure out who he's going to be at any given time. So like even the fact that he's not having such a great year doesn't deter me from the fact that like he could be a star goalie in the first round of a playoff series and could could give you some trouble. And I think that 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 does give me a little bit more concern when it comes to the Panthers versus any of the other teams. Yeah, I mean, they certainly it's it, it's tough. I I think like it's my head versus my heart in this conversation because I think the Islanders probably like mathematically have the best chance just because if I'm trying to paint Sorokin, a roadmap yeah. for what happens, it's like Sorokin has four games where he stops 45 out of 46 shots or something and they win that way. And then you wind up just looking back and you're like, how did the Islanders just win this in six? Now, I watched that most recent game. The Islanders played against the Bruins a couple of weeks ago very closely. And I believe it was like six nothing or something at one point. And it was just the Bruins were sort of running laps around them. So I'm, I'm worried that... Yeah. The Sorokin you look at the best player, but they just don't have the firepower otherwise to keep up with them. Right, and like the reason that Sorokin's year so far has been so, so damn impressive is just because they're giving up so much in front of him and like yeah. the high danger chances that, that the Islanders have given up all year long is they're not the same Islanders team as, as like the Barry Trotz era. And, and so like they're kind of going in the complete opposite direction. So like that's, I just think that the Bruins would have so much opportunity against Sorokin in a seven game series, regardless of how good he was. Yeah. Well that's the that's the that's the strange thing about this where out of these four teams they were talking about, right? The Islanders, Senators, Sabres, and Panthers. The Senators this season have actually technically been the best defensive team out of the bunch. Like basically any metric you look at, whether it's expected goals against, high danger chances against, whatever types of opportunities they're giving up, they've been the best. And right for years it was like, oh the Sens team can score a lot of goals and they have a young, exciting team, but their defense is just so loose. And that actually hasn't really been the case this year. If anything, their 5-1-5 goal scoring has been dragging behind. Um, whereas the Islanders are still thought of as this kind of elite defensive juggernaut. And really, it's just been Sorokin for the most part, carrying them on that yeah. end. So I guess all of these teams will probably lose and probably in, in quick fashion in that series. So I guess my pick for this would have to be our Buffalo Sabres because yeah. it would be the most entertaining. And I think they'll probably get swept. Maybe they could win one game. But there would be at least two games in that series where the Sabres like went up four nothing or four one or something, and then eventually wound up just giving it back in quick fashion, or they went down yeah, early be. and then scored a bunch of goals. You know what it would be? It would be the Battle of Alberta from last spring, right? Where it was like an incredibly entertaining series, but it was also incredibly quick. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I I agree, and I have like on my list of draft picks, I did have you know Buffalo Saber. Buffalo Sabres making the playoffs, wild card push. Like I, I'm rooting for that very hard, just because pound for pound, I think they've been the most entertaining team this year. We we talked about it in the watchability rankings earlier this season. They're just like the most watchable team in the league this year, but for better and for worse, because they score a ton and they give up a ton. It's just a lot of high event stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're like youth and good vibes and offensive great vibes. Um, I think would be a bit of a challenge for the, for the Bruins, right? Like I, I, at the same time though, they're just, they're so loose defensively and they make, you know, the types of mistakes you'd expect from a team that's in their like life cycle where they're at right now, which is on the way up. 
that like there'd certainly be over the, over every one of those games at least a handful of times where you're just like why did the Sabres just do that whether it's a turnover yeah. or a dumb penalty or something and the Bruins would immediately make them pay so in that sense it would be kind of like humbling because it's a horrible matchup from like an experience and a, and a discipline perspective but the firepower and the vibes are, are are so there that I think they could at least like threaten them in a handful of those games so I think that's why um They'd lose, but they'd be the most entertaining loss out of the bunch, I think. So I agree. I agree. Um, okay. Uh, What's up? And my uh, my next pick, I have uh, Connor McDavid pushing 70. I think that that's going to be uh, absolutely worth watching. Uh, I don't know. What, is, what was the last time somebody hit 70? Like 91, 92? I have the stats for you here, Pete. Yeah. This is what we do on the show. So Love he's, on, he's on pace for 68 goals, right? Okay. The last time anyone hit 65 was Ovechkin in 07-08. No one's hit 70 since Solani and McGillney did it together, or they did it at the same time in the same season in 92-93. Okay. Yeah. McGill- that's uh... hit 76 and 77 games or something like that, I believe, that season. Uh, Outrageous. So, yeah, it's been it's been quite a while. Quite a while, and, it, and it's certainly, like, one of those things where, like, growing up, at, at my age, like I look back on, on some of those stats, like Solani, even like Mario Gretzky, and you, and you look at at those numbers, and you look at kind of the way that the league plays now, and you're like, how the hell did any of those guys put up that kind of production? And I know like the games change and stuff, but it's kind of like hard to wrap your head around. And I think that we're in the midst of a season right now where even in a few years, people can look at at those numbers and be like, how did this happen? And so. Watching Connor even get close to 70 in, you know, you mentioned Ovechkin hitting 65 and that being, you know, the only time that he touched that, like the greatest pure goal scorer of this generation, maybe ever only hit that number once. And you've got McDavid on pace to eclipse it and possibly touch 70. That is insane. And uh, it's just like, I'm, I'm interested to watch to see how where he finishes at and as a as like a a 1b what kind of heart discussion will there be will people wrap their mind in such a dumb little pretzel that they convince themselves that anybody is more valuable than the guy who is putting up like a generational season i don't see how that's gonna happen i uh, because the bruins are already gonna take home the cell but it's plus minus though oh my god (laughs) <laughs> I'm not even going to entertain that 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 topic. <laughs> I think like there's like a there's a Pasternak argument in terms of what like it's the the Kucherov uh, equivalent in in 2019, right? Where McDavid that year also had an outrageous season and was carrying the Oilers to an even greater extent. But Kucherov put up all these points on this team that was historically great, and so that was the argument. But in this case, it's like Montgomery's going to win the Jack Adams, Allmark's going to win the Besna. Bergeron's going to win the Selkie. I think that's okay. I think the Bruins are accounted for on the individual awards. I think we can recognize Pasternak's incredible season with the contract he just got and also like a second or third place hard finish. I don't think we need to shoehorn him in into first here because what McDavid is doing is clearly like he's playing his own sport and then everyone else is battling for second. I don't even know if Pasternak would be like the heart candidate for the Bruins. Like it, it might be Olmark ahead of Pasternak in terms of I know that the workload is is smaller, and, and you know you, you you have the argument about you know goalies winning hard never happens, doesn't get the votes, whatever. But like, I don't know. I I think that for as good as of a season Pasternak's having, like Olmark has been insane, and like I don't think that he should 
be Hart. Like I would put Tage in front of him too. Like, but it's a one man race at the end of the day. It's there's no there's no discussion to be had. He's McDavid is just outrageous, and even by his own standards, which were insane to begin with, he's blowing that out of the water. So there's just no discussion, and it's it's unnecessary brain gymnastics to even go anywhere else. Yeah, I guess if you're making the the Bruins MVP conversation, Pasternak doesn't even have goal scoring anymore because Allmark Allmark has him there now. That's right. Um, That's right. Um, yeah. So another note on McDavid. So he has 124 points in 65 games, right? Um, Steve Eiserman got to 155 in 1988-89. That still stands as the most anyone not named Gretzky or Lemieux has gotten to, and McDavid's on pace for 156 right now. So I think from like a, there's the 70 goals certainly, which is highly intriguing to follow. But I think also whether he can get to 156 points, which he's on pace for right now, actually is a significant number because it would be it would basically put him in in even more rarefied air, right up there with with basically anyone other than Lemieux and Gretzky, which is quite the company to be keeping. So, um, yeah, I I'm really fascinated by by McDavid because I, I was just watching this like five five minute video feature that Ryan Rashog did on TSN the other day about him and it was sort of the the perspective of it was basically like and this isn't unique to him because all these great players go into the offseason and the reason why they're great is because they keep working at their craft right and so they like get better at stuff and, and he like a year ago or whatever was like I need to get significantly better as a shooter and improve my finishing ability even when he was having all these 100 plus point seasons and then now he comes out and has this year and it's kind of like cool to see that progression and also scary to think that he could keep getting better and adding different tricks to his to his bag while he still has that like generational speed, right? It's not like this is like a, a 28, 29 year old veteran who's kind of losing it physically. So he's trying to find ways to get better. He's doing this while he's still on the way up. And that's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, it's sort of like that Jordan Kobe mentality where it's like you you legitimately have to be built different in terms of like if you're Connor McDavid and you look at what you've done over the past several years and then you're in the off season and you're evaluating yourself and you're like, I can be better Then you like you were legitimately built different because I know if like I was in that position, I'd be like, I'm the best player in the league. What do I have to work on? Like my team needs to get better around me and uh, uh, like I'm doing the best that I can and I'm already so much better than everybody else. And so to have the mindset that like, hey, I can this is where I can improve. This is where I'm better good for him especially in the fact that he was right and he did it he has 33 more points than anyone in the league that isn't on his own team so the gap between him and Kucherov is the same as Kucherov and Anze Kopitar who's 45th in scoring um he has like 25 more chances off the rush and from the shot and from the slot than anyone else in the league I noticed he was playing like 22 43 or something per game and I was like wow I know he he played 22 50 a couple of years ago but I was like I'm wondering sort of in recent years where that stacked up against the most usage for any forwards. And then I found this Paul Korea season in 98-99 where he played 25-16 per game and didn't miss a single game. And I was like, wow, I that is that's something else. What a what a tank that guy was. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I I I love that McDavid's also doing this. Like a lot's been made about, you know, how much of his production is coming on the power play, right? And it's silly to me that that's kind of used as a knock against him. I acknowledge that five on five points are are tougher to come by than power play points. But in this case, it's not like he's playing the Tyson Berry role 
where he's just passing it to Connor McDavid and then squeezing out all of these secondary assists. He is Connor McDavid, right? Like, right. He's the one creating all this. And like he plays with Dre Seidel and he's fantastic in his own right as a as a trigger man in particular. But just watching the way he sort of operates with the speed and precision that he still uses in those ozone settings is that shouldn't be a knock. In, in fact, it should be another sort of feather in his cap that he is responsible for arguably the best power play we've also ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's a merchant. He's, he's number one, he's probably creating, I don't know what his like his penalties created or power plays created numbers are, but like I'm sure that a lot of those power plays come because he's he drew it. slippery and so much faster than everybody else and, and he's getting mugged and, uh, you know, he's facilitating. And at the end of the day, like, they count the same. I know that you don't want to be like a, like exclusively a merchant, but he's not exclusively a power play merchant. He makes, he generates and produces both at even strength and in the power play. And at the end of the day, they both count the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's at 5 on 5. He's actually, you could argue, he's been a bit unlucky. Like, the, the team is scoring less with him on the ice on their shots than they historically have with him. And he plays like 40% of his minutes with that Cody Cece Darnell nurse pairing, which like there's stretch passes to him. I, I feel like if they were a little bit better that at that point total might be even higher. So, um, you know, not, not that he needs any more points. I think he's doing fine, but I, I just, you put it all together and I, there's really, it's kind of like an unassailable case for, for everything. And that's why he's going to win the heart, the Lindsay, the Art Ross and the rocket this season. So, um, okay, Pete, let's, uh, let's take our break here. And then when we come back, we're going to do um, the rest of our lists. You are listening to the Hockeypedia cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the hockey PDO cast with Pete Blackburn, we're going through our list of uh, favorite storylines for the final five weeks of the regular season. So, Pete, I believe it's my turn. Uh, you just did Connor McDavid's point and goal uh, pursuits. Let me give you a more of a future oriented one then the tank battle of 2023. Mm-hmm. So, it's business is picking up here. The Blue Jackets have 47 points in 64 games, the Blackhawks are 49 and 64, the Sharks are doing their best there at 50 and 65, the Ducks 51 and 65, and the Coyotes 54 and 64. And uh, first it was like Vomelka and Ingram, and then more recently it's been Schmaltz and Keller, and they're just doing everything to piss Bill Armstrong off as much as they can, and and I love it. I, I have this like vision in my mind of after every game, that they win, they're just coming back into the locker room, and, and Bill Armstrong's there just like his arms crossed, just looking super sad, and they're just, Keller just giving him like a little smirk. It, 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 it's it's hilarious that they're they want to be they want to be as bad as they can and they should be because every one of these teams should be but they're like going out of their way to, to play as well as they can and I know that players don't tank right it's it's teams that do and I think the Coyotes for their part have tried to do everything they can to position themselves to tank and yet still they are struggling to be in the bottom five teams and that's kind of funny to me yeah I mean it's it's like the it is funny it's like this team can't do anything right even if it's losing and intentionally take tanking so uh that's been funny to me and then like kind of like on like the flip side is like the ducks where they had some momentum last year and people were like okay maybe they'll take the next step this year and they've been awful and so it seems like 
there it, it i mean i agree with you that this is an, a storyline to watch if it's what i had i had it on my list like there are a number of themes that are going to be in the tank battle and are already in the tank battle and they've been fluctuating in like a weird stretch like chicago even after trading everybody like just went on a heater and it's like you, i wonder how egregious it's going to be like towards the end of the year in the final weeks that like they're sitting they're sitting guys they're uh you know kind of like tanking their own lineup because they should absolutely be trying to lose as much as they can because Bedard's just that good yeah i mean the difference between like the blue jackets right now are holding what a 25.5% chance of of getting Bedard and also if you're last you get guaranteed top three and it feels like the top three in this year's class in particular that a division between those guys and then the fourth pick is pretty significant as well and so that's like a, a clear objective whereas you look at the ducks they're down to 9.5 percent and they must like it's it's kind of ironic because you you look at it, they're 32nd in goal differential they are 32nd in regulation wins they've only won 11 times a season in regulation uh, they have the worst defensive metrics of any team in the analytics era. Like they're giving up 40 shots against per game. They're giving up four goals against per game. And they also would be, for my money, the most interesting Bedard landing spot because I think they have the most realistic path to immediately getting at least like yeah. feisty and, and competitive, not necessarily really good, but they have a ton of flexibility. They're going to change their coach, which is going to give them a massive improvement in, on, on the defensive end. And if they add a guy like Bedard, they call up, Zellweger and some of these other like prospects they've drafted recently, they could legitimately get better in a hurry, um, which isn't always the case for teams picking that high in the draft. And and yet, for everything, for as bad as they've been, as miserable as the season's been, they're only the fourth worst team. So it's kind of, it's like, it's almost, it's remarkable that they're not the worst, but maybe that speaks to sort of just how bad some of the other teams have been around them. Um, like the Sharks, I, I was watching the game the other night, and I know there was a second of a back-to-back, but that game they played in Colorado was absolutely hilarious. There was a point where the Avs had five goals and the Sharks had two shots on goal. And um, for the first period of that game, they generated as a team 0.02 expected goals for, which I've never seen in a period for a team. And so I'm really curious to see, like, I, I think these final couple of weeks, there are going to be some shenanigans, right? I'm really curious to see some of these lineups that are trotted out and some of the tactics teams employ because it could get, it could get pretty competitive um, in terms of like trying to lose as much as they can. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some some phantom or suspicious injuries that uh, that are popping up in the final few weeks of the season. And I agree with you that I like. I think the Ducks and the Blue Jackets are potentially like the, the two teams that could get better very quickly with the addition of Bedard. And I just like I I I don't know. Like I think that the Ducks are. The Ducks are maybe the the most intriguing landing spot for me in terms of Bedard. So like I'm I'm keeping an eye on them. And the obviously that minus hundred goal differential is quite hilarious at this point in the season. And they're the fourth worst team. Like it's it's yeah. almost impossible to be eleven regulation bad. wins. I know. And and a minus the hundred goal differential is amazing that they're not the thirty second ranked team. They're not even the worst team in California. It's crazy. Um. Yeah, this 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 brings me back to the 2015. I was I was looking this back up again. There's a YouTube video of from the game, March 26, 2015. It was the 74th game of the Buffalo Sabres season. They're playing at home against the Coyotes. The Coyotes win in overtime, and the Buffalo crowd just goes crazy. They're just so happy that their team lost. And I think I 
it's you know there's going to be a lot of uh, McDavid Bedard comparisons, but I think in this case, like the the intensity for trying to maximize your draft lottery odds is going to be about as as great as we've seen since that point. So I'm looking forward yes. to it. Yeah. Um, Same okay. Here. You uh, what's next on your list? Yeah. So uh, uh, I had that one, but I'm also going to go with uh, the Pacific race because this Pacific race is really interesting to me, just based on like it's a bad division, but I also think it's bad. And entertaining just because the teams are pretty close. Uh, like, I, I feel like any of those, like, you you look at, like, the Knights, the Kings, the Kraken, the Oilers, any one of those teams could win that division based mm-hmm. off of how the final five or six weeks shake out. And I, and I legitimately think any one of them has a shot to win that division. And so, like, it, it's... I'm interested to see how that shakes out. One, because you know, you obviously give yourself an easier, a little bit of an easier path in the playoffs. And I'm interested to, to monitor the, uh, like the the matchups that come out of out of that round in the bracket. And I'm kind of rooting for another Oilers Kings uh, playoff rematch. And uh, I, you know, I think that any of those matchups that come out of that that division are going to be really interesting, and just. Like I, I think that those teams with how wide open the West is, worth monitoring. Mm. Yeah, Oilers Kings will be fun. I guess if the Oilers were to win the Pacific, then we'd get locked into a, a Golden Knights Kings round one matchup. But unfortunately, I think Jonathan Quick probably wouldn't be playing ideally for the Golden Knights in that. But it would also be highly entertaining to see that as a series as well. But I think you know, considering the other options they have in that, it, it seems unlikely that they'd actually use Quick in those games. So like a lot of camera shots of the broadcast, like showing him sitting on the bench in his baseball hat aren't as appealing uh, from an entertainment perspective. But I think that like, after the, every goal, after every goal, they, they cut to quick. They should just have an ISO cam. And, yeah. It just modern, like I have like a heart rate monitor that just monitoring, like seeing like, like what's going on uh, with all his biometrics. That'd be, that'd be funny. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think the, the Pacific being wide open is, is, is highly interesting and, and sort of that jockeying for position and trying to get, Whole mice. I guess the thing for me is like the the discrepancy between all, pretty much every team in the central, aside from what Colorado could be if they get healthy for game one of the playoffs, is so minimal that um like the incentive, you know, some years it's like, oh, you wanna you wanna stay out of that two three battle in your own division, or oh, you like you don't want to be a wild card because you're gonna have to play the one seed in the in the opposite division and they're so good. In this case, I feel like it's it's really it's going to be a bunch of coin flip series for the most part. So I don't know if there's like every team's going to be trying to finish as high as they can, but I don't think the incentive is necessarily there for the difference between finishing third in your division and finishing as the first wild card isn't nearly as as big as it was in previous seasons. I agree. I I think like the the really the only path um, or the only concern in the Western Conference playoff picture is like how long can you avoid Colorado? Yeah, because the Colorado is fully healthy i think that they're clearly the best team in the western conference and you probably want to avoid that matchup as long as you can if you're any of the other seven teams so uh otherwise like you said bunch of coin flips and then like there's a lot of parody even if it's not the best parody yeah well one of the themes around the trade deadline was like everyone in the east was loading up right and then we kept waiting for west teams for the most part to make some sort of like a separation move but yeah and it was like the west is as wide open as it's ever going to be go for it and i really like what edmonton did i think echo was a great get for them but for the most part like even like dallas it's like all right we added max domain of guinea to donna like a, 
the Jets, we had an Eno Niederreiter. It was kind of like, you know, sort of secondary stuff as opposed to something that foundationally changes your team's composition. And I think in a lot of conversations I've been having, and I'm sure other people have as well, the, the teams themselves might not have necessarily felt that Wes is wide open because there's this like shadow of the Avs still sort of looming in the background. And like everyone just believes that Landeskog will be back for the start of the playoffs and Manson will be back and they're just going to have everyone. And it's just going to be maybe not necessarily as much of a nightmare as they were last year, but still clearly the like the deepest and highest upside team in the conference. Um, so my next topic was, can the Avs sort of turn it on and flip that switch and and establish themselves as a clear top team in the West? And maybe that's already been happening because if you look since the start of 2023, since January 1st, the only teams with a better goal differential than them are the Bruins, the Hurricanes, and the Devils out East. And so yeah. they already kind of have been. They've worked themselves into this position where they're five points back of the Stars with two games in hand for the one seed in the Central. They're six points back with two games in hand of the top spot in the West, which uh, the Golden Knights currently holding on to. And so it's within striking range here in the final five weeks for them to conceivably, after all this, after all this talk of them sort of sleepwalking through the regular season, being banged up every step of the way, still at the end of the day, entering the playoffs as the one seed in the West. And that's kind of remarkable to think about. It sure is. And like, they've been treading water for so long that, you know, if they they do have a full strength lineup, and even if they don't have like a fully full strength lineup, I, I do buy into that team just being able to engage knowing that it matters and that they have a title defense to work on and especially with i would say the lack of of quality competition in the western conference like i have no no doubts about that team just being able to snap into it when it matters and as long as they which they they already have shown that their ability to tread water as long as they have like enough runway to kind of pick up some momentum heading into the playoffs, which we've already seen them do, they're, they're still far and away a, a extremely dangerous team. Yeah, although I will say, you know, speaking of dream matchups, uh, a potential Avs versus Oilers rematch with McDavid yes. playing at a slight level, them adding at home, Dreisaitl hopefully being healthier than he was when they met last year, and the Avs kind of being a bit more vulnerable. Um, would make for for one heck of a series. And the game they played most recently, uh, which the Avs won, I'm coming back and winning in overtime, was incredibly fun and high scoring. And so I think that would deliver once again. That was one of those where it was a sweep, but it was a really fun series to watch. And I think yeah. it would be an even longer one and entertainment value would be just as high, if not better. So let's the hope for like have. all the The Avs for all the problems have been an extremely entertaining team recently. I mean, even the um, the game against uh, New Jersey yep. was in incredibly oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. So... I'm with you. All right, what's uh, what's next on your list? Because I just I just had the abs. I have two more left on mine. I uh, I have one more. Okay, because yeah, yeah. you've stolen a few of mine. Yeah. Uh, and this is a little bit of a fun one. I want to see over like the next five weeks if Jeremy Swayman can get a goal because he uh, Allmark's got one. Swayman has tried to this point yeah. in the season. He came really close that one time, right? He really he came closer than Olmark did, uh, and like was a few inches off. Given the the chemistry and the camaraderie between those two, I really do think that Swayman's going to try his damn hardest over the final stretch of the season. And I don't believe that any team in the history of the NHL has had two separate uh, goalie goals in the same season. So that would be another incredible piece of history for the Bruins. And I really want to see him do it. There's nothing that 
quite unites all of us, regardless of our rooting interests, like a goalie goal. Oh, when yeah. Allmark scored that goal, I, I'm sure there was people that were like upset with the whole team celebrating or whatever, or like, or I actually had one person be like, oh, if you like pause the, pause the video, the Canucks skater was really close to knocking it down because he kind of shot it over a couple couple Canucks, right? It was like, oh, if that gets knocked down, that's back in his own net, and it was a one-goal game, and then all of a sudden, like, everyone is, like, upset about it. It's like, all right, yeah, I, I guess I guess so. I guess if, if this worst-case scenario happened, it could have led to a tie game, I guess. Yeah. yeah, he shouldn't have... Oh, you're right. He shouldn't have done it when he pointed out that way. Um, so, yeah, there's always going to be people who try to kind of take the, uh, the opposite view, but for the most part, it really feels like everyone is just like, the two words goalie goal just just make you feel a certain way of course yeah and somebody asked me the question recently it's like what moves the needle more at this point or like i guess what's what's more rare at this point a goalie goal or a goalie fight because like what was the last like legitimate goalie fight that we've seen in the nhl it was i believe it was mike smith versus cam talbot a couple years ago like right before the covid shutdown uh, in a in a Flames Oilers game, right? Remember when it popped off? Um, yeah, we had that like one. That was a couple years ago. We almost got John Gibson really, really yeah. badly wanted to fight Phoenix Copley recently. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but they wouldn't allow him. Like, I know. Yeah, cowards. So, like, we've had what, like, uh, one one goalie fight in the past several years, and we've had multiple goalie goals. So you can make the argument that goalie goals are becoming more more regular than goalie fights. I mean, I. Couldn't care less about like regular fights in NHL games, and yet the idea of a goalie fight intrigues me. And I think it would be even cooler if once they fought, the two goalies in their full equipment had to sit in the penalty box and serve the five minute majors, and then, and then both teams played with empty nets, and then they had to run back out on the ice after the five minutes. I think let's let's go for it. I mean, this is this is an entertainment product after all, and, and what would be more entertaining than that? So that's um, an outrageous take. <laughs> I think they should at least try it in like the ECHL and see see what happens. I mean, the other day we actually did get, speaking of your question, uh, Peter Kachetkov scored a goal. And then in another game, same night, Askarov got in a fight. And yeah. so we got a goalie fight and a goalie goal in the AHL by two top goalie prospects in different games on the exact same night. So uh, hopefully the future is bright in that regard that maybe those guys coming into the league will uh, will give us some more entertainment on that front. Yeah, take the chains off. Let the goalies live, man. Yes. Okay. So I have two more here. Then let's re- let's go through these uh, on our way out. My first one is, I think the funniest possible outcome in the West would be the Predators sneaking into the playoffs after trading Matias Echo, Michael Granlund, Tanner Jano, and you know need a rider for eight future draft picks, and just like fully embracing being sellers for the first time, and then somehow still making the playoffs and improving as a result. Uh, especially since they traded Nino Niederreiter for a second to win to the Winnipeg Jets, which is a team they're competing for that last wildcard spot in the West with. And Dom has them currently at 30%, which is a bit behind the Jets at 53 and the Flames at 39. But honestly, they're right there. Like They've got four games in hand on both those teams. They're a few points back. Uh, this is their upcoming schedule, Pete. The Coyotes, the Kings, which is tough, the Ducks, the Red Wings, the Blackhawks, and then they play the Jets. And so it's very conceivable that in about 10 days or so, the Predators are sitting in a playoff spot. Now, I think they're the worst of those three teams, um, but they also have UC Soros, who's 
can be right. the best goalie in the league if you uh, for especially periods of time. And so if he gets hot and carries them, Philip Forsberg's return seems imminent here. I think that would be a really funny outcome. Uh, and I'm not. It must be like such like a like a weird roller coaster ride of emotions for for Predators fans to like finally be like, all right, for years we wanted this team to embrace being bad and taking a step back and and kind of playing for the future. And then they do that, and they still make the playoffs anyways. That'd be kind of funny. It would be it would be quite a funny scenario. I don't know if anybody in the world wants it, including Predators fans. <laughs> like I, I I get like getting it in gives you a chance and, and whatever, but like this team is where they should be in terms of the, like selling and trying to re reshape for the future. Uh, and I don't know if there's any uh, if there's any interest in seeing that team in the playoffs. Probably not. Um, yeah. But I just think, I mean, we're going to have enough other exciting playoff series. I'm, I'm okay with sacrificing one of them for, for that storyline. I mean, I guess, like, would you prefer the Jets or the Flames to make it? Because I guess there's an outside shot that the Oilers could finish as the first seed in the in the West. Give me a battle of Alberta. And then even the Flames like, the... crawl in and we get that again in round one. Yeah. It's it's a very unlikely scenario because the Oilers have a lot of work to do themselves to get there as the one seed, but it's technically mathematically in play. If Even if it's a 1% chance that we get that matchup, I'm going to root for that matchup every single time just for the pure chaos of it. Like, I will take... Uh, the, an outside shot of Calgary getting matched up against Edmonton, then Nashville facing anybody. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm with you there. I mean, I was I was high on this Jets team, and then now you watch them play, and they're they're going through this like two seven and two stretch or whatever. I just every single Jets game, it's like a maximum amount of Rick Bonus looking disgruntled on the bench. Camera shots. It's like, all right, I, I I'll take my shot with the with the Flames here and see if they can potentially turn it on as opposed to this is the alternative so i think i would go flames jets predators in that order but predators winning out of those three teams would be the funniest outcome um my one final one here tampa bay how worried should we be uh i don't think worried too much uh, this team just like legitimately has nothing really to play for right now and i, I again we talk about we talked about like colorado finding that switch and just being able to turn it on. Tampa Bay should know that they can be that team. Like, if there's any team in the in the NHL that's learned that regular season isn't as important as it yeah. may be hyped up to be, it's probably the Lightning. And there's still so much talent there. Uh, you know, at, at basically every juncture, you want to see them at least tighten up defensively and not like. Be a little bit competitive, which is, like, which, is, which which is a an effort based thing for the most part, right? So right. if your if your argument is well, they're not trying, then that would probably be most reflected on the defensive side of things. So I guess that would kind of go hand in hand to support that argument. Yeah, right. And like I think that they are trying to tread water, for the most part, but in in shifting into that mindset, they're literally drowning themselves. And I think that they will correct and find a, a nice little healthy medium over the next five to six weeks. Like that's too good of a team to just completely fall apart and forget how to play defense uh, like in, in three quarters of the way through the season. Yeah, there's there's sleepwalking and then there's whatever that performance against the Hurricanes was, which was like downright embarrassing, right? Like right. not getting a single shot in a full period as good defensively as the Hurricanes are, I think there's a certain bar that you should be able to clear as a team. I'm a little bit worried about the defensive personnel 
um, because I'm sure trying harder and going max effort will help some of it. But then you look at the actual players that they have on the blue line, and I just, I'm all for trading five draft picks to improve their team the way they did. I just wish instead of Tanner Genoa would have been a defenseman who could move and like skate properly and handle the puck because they're relying on a lot of guys who cannot do those things. And in a series against the Leafs, with some of the speed that they could potentially throw at them up front, does worry me. And so, I we'll see. Um, I'm sure that there this isn't representative of, of how much they have left in the tank. I remember last year there was a point down the stretch where they looked just as miserable. Um, but certainly something to monitor. I think just I wanted to like acknowledge it because it's pretty clearly one of like the biggest storylines the final five weeks. Just like seeing how much energy they're willing to exert down the stretch and kind of how they look heading into that first round series against the Leafs. Yeah, just as long as they don't like fully limp and drag their lifeless body across the goal line, I think well, they're going to be fine. I mean, Hedman hurting his back is concerning because yes. that's yeah. something, especially given the miles he has on his body and, and at his size, it's like that's one thing that could come back very quickly, right? Like a, a weird movement here or there all of a sudden tweaks it. And if he's hurt, um, then I'd be significantly knows. worried. Yeah. 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 Especially uh, even how much they're going to have to rely on him in a, in a playoff run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Pete, that's it. I I had another thing here about the awards, but honestly, this is like one of the least intriguing award seasons to me just because pretty much everyone other than the Norris feels locked up, right? Like the Norris is legitimately interesting because I think like between Carlson, Dali, and Fox, if you even want to throw in like Brent Burns, although I, I think there's a pretty clear gap between those three and everyone else, like the there's an argument to be had there. And I think that's really the only award for the most part right now that even feels like it's up for debate. Cause like, I think the, the, the Vesna, like you can make a statistical argument for Sorokin versus Allmark, but it's, it's, it's kind of dumb to argue it because it's clear that everyone is going to vote for Allmark just based on the season he had. And, and that's fine. Um, so I mean, the, the wheels could fall off a little bit. Like he, he could definitely regress back a, a, a little bit in the next uh, five weeks. And then it becomes a, a discussion especially if Sorokin keeps it up and, and the Islanders get in. I mean, it, it's it's very skewed in Olmark's favor at this point, but I think there is room for there to be a discussion there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. If the Islanders sneak in as one of those wildcard spots and it's all Sorokin, um, it'll be interesting. All right, Pete, uh, let the listeners know um, where they can check you out and uh, and give them all those plugs uh, on your on the way out. Yeah, uh, my writing and, and TV stuff is for Valley Sports. So valleysports.com is where you can find it. Twitter, Pete Blackburn, a lot of the dumb hockey takes and whatever on there. And then my podcast is the Listen to Brunch. So it's a pop culture podcast. It's getting weird with that. So what about let's let's give a let's give your buds uh handle a shout out who made us the glorious Tage t shirts and also sent me a, a beautiful Pavel Bore t shirt, which I, I love to wear. Um Oh yeah, Ryan Lafleur. I'm not sure what his uh, his Twitter handle is. It may just be like Rye Lafleur or something. But yeah. if you're on Instagram, Chirps is Chirps, the yeah. company that he he uh, puts his shirts out with, and they have they have a ton of awesome stuff. Like they do like a lot of like big faced player tees, and uh, like I got the Yarmir Yager one that was just like it looks like an old school vintage T-shirt. Phenomenal and, quality too. Yeah. So uh, sh- shout out Chirps. Uh, they rock. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, this is a blast. We'll have you on again soon, especially if our Buffalo Sabres make the playoffs. Uh, for the listeners, smash that five-star button wherever you listen to the show, and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Hockey Pedio Cast. Thank you, as always, for listening to us on the Sportsnet Radio Network.